Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good. It's so good to see you guys. My name's Daniel Mosley. I'm the pastor here in Pooler. So glad to be a part of this worship experience with you guys. Glad to have you if you're a guest with us, as Lana has already said. Welcome. We hope that you'll feel connected today. We hope that you'll feel like this is a place where you can come and encounter Jesus. Today, I want to talk about some stuff that's really close to my heart, kind of close to the identity of our church. It's kind of been stirring within me. And so I, I want to just invite you into the conversation. So if you're new here, maybe you're used to like never giving feedback. You're used to just kind of sitting out there and being quiet in your seats. Help me out here today, okay? All right. So as we dive into this, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a relationship? Have you ever had a person, like somebody that you liked? And I, I mean like you really, 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 you liked them, liked them, right? Have you ever had a person that you really liked and you wanted that relationship to kind of, you know, go to the next level. And so maybe in elementary school, it was like this. Maybe this is the approach that you have, right? I mean, come on, let me take you back to grade school for just a minute, right? And so I had several of these. What would you do? You grab out your markers, and you had that cute girl or that cute guy across the class, and you would draw out in your best way, I like you, do you like me, yes or no, like check the box kind of thing, right? And then if you were like, you know, you struggle with a little bit of some insecurities, you were unsure about how this was going to go, what did you do, right? You left yourself an out. You threw a maybe in there, right in the middle, right? Because nobody likes rejection, right? Have you ever had a relationship where you wanted something else, you wanted something more profound, but maybe that person, that individual, just wasn't willing to go there with you? Maybe it wasn't in elementary school, maybe it was like in high school, or maybe it was college, and you were crushing on this girl, you were crushing on this guy, and you were like, I really, 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 really like this person. Like, we're friends, we're buddies, right? But I'm hoping for a little bit something more. I'm hoping that we can take this thing to another level, that there's a deeper place in our relationship. But maybe that person's not quite ready or willing to go there with you. And you kind of put yourself out there, and you're not sure how it's going to go, and they're just, oh, I'm not going to go there with you. And I remember this happening for the very first time. Well, the first time... The first time was I had a crush on Meg Ryan. You guys remember Meg Ryan, like celebrity crush? Okay, like, and so I guess that one doesn't count because she never called me back. And the, but the first real crush, like the first real one, okay? Like I was in ninth grade. I remember this so vividly. I really, 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 like, baby, I know, Jacqueline, you're in the back of the room. Honey, there was nobody ever, okay? But, but there was this one time. There was this one time in ninth grade, and I was crushing on this girl named April. And she actually lives around here, so I can't tell you her last name. Like, April, if you're watching this, you broke my heart, girl. You broke my heart. Come on. I was crushing on this girl named April, and whoo, that girl was cute. She had braces, and not as cute as you, baby. She had braces. I had braces. There's about to be some sparks, you know. She was cute. 
And so I kind of did the elementary thing, right? I'm in ninth grade now. You would think maybe I've grown up a little bit since then, but it hasn't happened, right? So now I'm in ninth grade, and what do I do? I'm going to confess my love, and I don't have the boldness to go and just tell her face to face. And so I break out my pen, and I write an 85-page note to her, confessing everything in all the ways. I wrote her a sonnet, why I love you and how beautiful you are, right? And so at the very end of it, I kind of go elementary with it. I'm like, hey, I like you. I want to take this to another level. I want us to be boyfriend and girlfriend. Can we go out? Can we go? What did you guys call it when you were dating? What did you call it? Going together. going together. Okay. Somebody over here, you dated yourself. You were going steady, right? That was like right before mine. Okay. And so we were going out. We were going together, right? I'm like, baby, can we go steady, right? And so what does she do? She breaks my heart. She checks the box. No, I'm, I, I like you as a friend. I'm, I'm there, but I, I don't want to take this to another level. We're better off just as friends. And so in ninth grade, I had experienced this for the first time. Have you ever had that kind of relationship? Have you ever had somewhere, maybe it was a crush, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was, maybe it was a different kind of relationship. Maybe, maybe you're a grown parent in the, uh, you're a parent in the room, and now you have grown children. And maybe you've raised your kids, right? And so maybe now your kids are grown, and, and, and when they were coming up, like life was hard, life was tough, there were some circumstances, there were some things that just happened, and they didn't, you know, they weren't always the best. And so there's kind of been this resentment. Maybe your children have harbored some resentment. You want it to be different. You want it to be deeper. You want it to be more profound. You want relationship beyond Thanksgiving and showing up at Christmas and the occasional text message or the email or something like that. You want something significant. You want to take it there, but no matter what you do, it just kind of feels a little bit like, you know, we're, we're good where we are. Or maybe it's the opposite of that, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the child in the situation, right? You want something different, right? You, you kind of grew up in a way, and, and maybe your parents split when you were young. Maybe your parents split with you when you were young, and, and now you lived with mom, right? And so you, you and mom are tight, but you, you and dad, we just never had that thing, that, that, that father-son, that, that father-daughter relationship. You never had that. Maybe it was the other way, the inverse. Maybe it's you lived with dad, and, and you wanted that from your, from your mom or, or something there. And so you all, all, inside of you, you would look, and you would see these other relationships, you know, your friends, you would see how they are with their mom, and now you're grown up, and their dad, and you see this relationship, and something inside of you becomes a little bit jealous. It becomes a little bit envious. There's something inside of you that longs for something different, but no matter what you do, it's just not changing. They're just not meeting you there. They don't want to go with you there. They don't want to take this thing to that place. And this is the tough one. Maybe it was this one. Maybe it's inside of the marriage. You know, so when you got married, like, listen, you were a goo-goo-eyed, you were all in love, you were passionate, there was a fire up in there, like, you, you were, could not stand to be apart, you always wanted to be together, you wanted to be in each other's lives, you could finish each other's sentences, but something happened, something somewhere along the way, something happened, and that fire just kind of got doused, and it's now gone out, Right? And so because of this, because that relationship, something has happened, and, and now you find yourself in this place where, you know, everybody's just, you know, we're still in the relationship, but there's no fire, there's no vitality, there's no engagement inside of it. We still do our thing, right? I mean, we're polite, we're not rude. Now there's just this kind of understanding that's happened, right? Just kind of come to this place, and it's like, you know what? You know, we're not going to quit on this thing, but 
it's just not going anywhere, right? It's not, it's not going to progress anywhere. He still shows up. She still watches the kids. He still goes out and provides income. She's still cooking at home. They still do their job. They do their role. But something on the inside, and you long for something different to take the relationship to a place that you crave, but yet they're not willing to meet you there. And so you decide, man, I'm done with this. I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm done with this, right? But then something, okay, 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 okay. We're going to give it another shot. We're gonna, you know, let's read some books. Let's go see some counselors. You make every effort and nothing has changed. There's this place inside of you that longed for something, a depth of relationship, and yet it does not happen. Have you ever experienced a relationship? And if you haven't yet, I hope that you never do, but the chances are at some point, somewhere along the way, we experience a form of rejection in the sense of, I'm not going there with you. You might want more, but I'm not going there. And you know the thing that's the most frustrating about this? Is that we can't force anybody to go there with you. You can't force them. As much as you want to, as much as you might make the effort, you can't force their hand. You can't force them to take it deeper with you. And so it becomes frustrating. Why? Because we, the, the tension that we wrestle with is that all of us on the inside have a longing that, was, that, that, that sits deep within us, and that's to be in community, to be in relationship. It's part of a value that we talk about. You just heard us talk about community groups. This is part of why we do community groups, is because you and I have a longing, a desire for intimacy. We have a desire for intimacy in community and relationship with one another. And let me just, so you don't go middle school on me, okay? When I say intimacy, we're not talking about intimacy, okay? We're talking about like really knowing each other, like to know and to be known. That's what intimacy is, okay? And so intimacy, and this will come on the screen here, is the experience of really knowing and being known by another person, that we have within us this desire, this longing for intimacy. And when we're describing intimacy, we, we kind of use like, we use terms of like spatial awareness, proximity, if you will. We use words to describe it like, I feel close to them, right? And so if somebody that's, that you're close to, you would use that kind of reference when you're talking about intimacy. Or if something has happened, there's been a fracture in the relationship, now I kind of I feel distant from them. Or if they don't really know me, it's kind of superficial, it's surface level. And so we use these spatial terms to kind of define what intimacy looks like. But it's not about space, it's not about proximity, because you know and I know that you can be sitting next to someone and feel as distant from them as a complete stranger. And you can, at the same time, you can have somebody who lives on the other side of the globe and you can feel close to them because of intimacy in relationship. And here's the reality of this, that this thing that sits within the DNA and the makeup of you and I, this longing that we have for intimacy, it was actually placed there by God himself. And so let me, let me, let me just kind of help you see something from the beginning of the book, right? In Genesis, we see that we were created by God in his likeness that we were made. He made them male and female in his image. He created them, right? And so 
here's where I want to go with this. When Jesus created you and he created this thing inside of you that desires and craves for intimacy, this is actually part of you that is a direct reflection, a mirror of something that God himself also possesses and desires. When God created you, he created you in his likeness, and this is part of that likeness. And as odd as it is to sound or to say out loud and to think about that God himself desires intimacy. God himself desires intimacy. It's God's desire. And so throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, from cover to cover, from beginning to end, through all 66 books of the Bible, we find Jesus, we find God in pursuit of intimacy with his beloved with his creation. So this is where Jesus is presented father of the prodigal son. And you know the story, right? So the father wants the relationship with his child. He wants relationship with his son. He wants it to go deeper. He wants it to be more profound, to be more intimate. But what does the son do? Rejection, right? You know, maybe one day, but right now I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me. Right now, I know you want something deeper. You want something more profound. But right now, in this season, this stage of my life, that's just not where I'm at right now. So God is presented as the prodigal's father. Where else is he presented? He also is the shepherd. We see this in the New Testament, right? Jesus is the great shepherd, right? And what do we see about this shepherd? What do we find about the context of his heart? That he's the shepherd, and it says when he has 99, and he has his body together, and he has his family together, what happens when one of them is outside of relationship? What does he do? He goes after them. Why? Why? Because he wants relationship with them, because he's not willing, he doesn't desire, he's not okay with the fact that you're going to be on the outside of relationship. And so because God desires intimacy, he's in pursuit of his creation. In the very beginning of the book again, right, we, we're, let's, let's go all the way back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Okay. We've got Adam and Eve. We've got the creation. We've got the garden, right? That most beautiful scene that we ever see inside of the Bible. And we see God coming down and walking with his creation, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day. I mean, can you just imagine the kind of conversations and the intimacy that was happening there as they're discovering God's creation and who God is and and the level of relationship that was happening? But what happened? What did Adam and Eve do? What did they choose? They chose to turn away. And so God began to put something in place. And so we see God is presented as the heavenly Father in everywhere throughout Scripture. And I I love this word picture. And maybe you struggle with your relationship with your own dad, and maybe this is hard for you. But the Bible presents him as a heavenly father, presents him as the Abba, presents him as the one that you get to approach and come and sit on his lap and have conversation and just put yourself out there with him, that he's presented as a heavenly father. Not some casual relationship, not some distant relationship, but a father who loves his creation and loves his children and desires for relationship with you and I. And finally, the best of all of the pictures, the best of the examples is Jesus himself, right? And what did he do? And why did he do it? 
Do you know the sole reason that he was crucified and resurrected was because God desires relationship and intimacy with you? The sole reason that he did all of what he did and what he endured. And here's the challenge, here's the problem, is that we see this picture of God desiring intimacy from cover to cover, from beginning to end, and all throughout it, we find people doing what you and I often do. It's, it's kind of that stiff arm move, isn't it? It's kind of rejection, it's kind of pushing away, and it's kind of keeping him at bay. And, and, and don't make mista- no mistake, we're, we're polite, we're respectful, right? I, I, I like you, I'm okay with you, but I, I'm not going to go there with you. You know, I, 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 listen, listen, we, we just need to be friends, right? We, we can be acquaintances, we can know each other from a distance, but I'm not willing, I'm, I'm not ready, I'm not going to do that. I hear you, I see you in pursuit of this, but I'm not interested, right? And so maybe we just maybe check the maybe box just because it, it helps us to sleep at night. But in reality, the offer is extended, the invitation is extended from creator to us as created. And it's an invitation. It's, I love you. Do you love me? And so it's God's desire. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to go in and I, I want to dive into the book of Revelation, okay? So let me put your big boy pants on. This is that. So Revelation, right? Genesis is the easiest book in the Bible to find, right? Just open up the cover. There it is in the front. Revelation's the second easiest book to find. Just go to the maps in the back of the book if you're still, you know, and then flip it back and you find the book of Revelation. And Revelation is one of those, it's just, you know, it's sometimes hard to interpret. It, it just has those things that keeps you awake at night. And all of these blockbuster hits are made from the book of Revelation. And let me just kind of give you some context here and set it up. And then I want to dive into some chapters of what is happening here. And so God had something that was burning in his heart. And he wanted it communicated to the people of that time. And he wanted it communicated to you and I. And so it's called prophecy. And so he had this guy named John, the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, spent time with Jesus, and he begins to show John some things, reveal some things, revelation of some things. And he says to John this in Revelation 1.19, just so you can see what's happening here. He says, this is what I want you to do, John. He says, I want you to write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, now and good, come on, you guys have been around here, and... All right, now and later, now and later. I wish I had some of those. So he says to them, and here's the thing about, uh, about prophecy, and this is what I want you to understand. In most cases, in most contexts, when there was prophecy that happened in the Bible, it was for two applications. It was for now, meaning that what was happening in the context of the people at that time. And so for the first few chapters, which we're talking about today, the first few chapters of the book, there is actually application to what was happening right now, then, in that moment, contextually, in that period of time. But it also has a double meaning, as a lot of prophecy in the Bible does. There was something that was to be said about later. Say later with me again. Later, okay, so now and later. And so let me just show you by a map. Let me give you a map here. Let me just show you what's going on, okay? So this is where he is. He's in Patmos right here. So John is on an island of Patmos. God has pulled him away and he has his attention. I'm gonna reveal some stuff to you. And John, I want you to write it down and give it to these people, okay? In fact, I want you to write some short letters. They're more like paragraphs. And I want you to send it to seven churches, Seven churches, right? And they're all kind of right here in Asia. 
This is actually modern-day Turkey. So if you were looking at a modern-day map, this is where it would be, right? And so there's the seven churches. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he's going to write down what God has revealed to him, and he's going to make it known to these seven churches, right? So that's what's happening in the context of this, right? And so one of these letters is written to this one right here. Say Laodicea. Laodicea, okay? And so one of the letters is written to this group of people in Laodicea, and this is in Revelation 3, okay? And so two things I need you to keep in your mind the entire time as we talk about this, okay? Because some of this is kind of sharp, right? And it has ability to cut, all right? So two things I need you to keep in mind is that these are letters written to church people. It's written to church people. They're written to churches, right? John, I want you to write these things down. I want you to communicate it to these seven churches. It's written to church people, all right? That's one. You've got to keep that in your mind as we go through this. The second thing I need you to keep in your mind is what we've talked about already, that God's desire is for relationship and intimacy with you and I. So you got it? Okay, here we go. Revelation 3, 14. Here's what it says. These are the words of the amen, or amen, whatever you say, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So these are the words of who? The amen. Who is the amen? God. Specifically, these are the words of Jesus. And maybe you have one of those red letter Bible things. You'll see all of this in red, okay? This is Jesus revealed, who has been resurrected, and Jesus makes an appearance to John, right? And these are his direct words. He's the great shepherd. He's the pastor of the churches. And he has something, a sermon that he wants to preach to these seven churches. And now specifically, he's talking to the church in Laodicea. So we continue reading here. These are the words of Jesus. And this is what he's going to say in verse 15. And okay, here we go. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. Say cold nor hot. Okay, he says, I know your deeds. And so what he's doing right here is he's making a reference, right? And I love the way that Jesus would do this. He would always come in and bring parables. He would put context in what we don't understand without knowing the history of what was going on. Jesus all understood. So in this place, in Laodicea, they had what was uh, an aqueduct system, okay? So outside of the city, they had hot springs, right? And they had created an aqueduct system that was designed, its purpose, its intent, was to transfer the water from outside the city and bring it to the city center. Now, by design, it was meant that the water would be delivered hot, right? And so Jesus is making this reference in this moment because the problem that they had with their aqueduct system is by the time it left the hot springs and it made it to the city center, guess what it wasn't? It wasn't hot. Guess what also else it wasn't? So it was really kind of useless, right? As hot water, it was no longer hot, and so its purpose of being hot water couldn't be used. And then it's too darn warm to be drinking, and so it was kind of useless. And so Jesus is jumping into a context, a language that they immediately understand. And he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And again, this is written to this church in Laodicea. So Jesus is saying that your life is a lot like your aqueduct system, right? Your life looks like this. You believe in me. You're a part of a church. You do the ritual. You do the routine. You show up. You're a part of the whole thing. You know about me, but you don't know me. 
right? He says, you know about me, but you don't know me. You're cold and not hot. And so here's where it is. And it says in verse 15, if you keep reading, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and say, I wish. I wish you were either one or the other, right? In context here, we got to go back to context. Jesus' desire and his wish is that all of us would be in relationship and know him intimately and be known by him intimately. That's the wish. But he says to us, listen, I want that relationship, but you're just kind of, you're just kind of religious. You're just kind of doing the deal. You just kind of show up, and it's, it's really about that and not about what I'm after here, Right? And so he says, I'm after intimacy, but you really, you're not wanting that, right? And he says, I wish that you were red hot. I wish that you were passionate. Because honestly, if you're not going to, you just, just come on, man. Just, just abandon it, right? Just walk away from it. It would probably be better if that were to happen. And so it's possible for religious people, and this is what it shows us, it's possible to play church and to do church and to not have relationship with God. It's possible to actually come and sit in seats, to sit in rows, to show up, to sing the songs. It's possible to wear one of our shirts that say here to help and serve week in and week out. It's possible to be a part of our outreach ministries in our city. It's possible to do these things and not have relationship with God. It's possible. That's what's happening with these people. And and Jesus is kind of stirred up here in this moment. And he's kind of leaning into them a bit. And he's got some things that he needs to say to them. And so he says, I know your deeds. This is 15 and 16. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to do something gross. This is kind of gross word picture, isn't it? Like Jesus, like spitball, right? It's kind of gross. And it seems a little bit like, oh, wow, Jesus, I mean, come on. Like, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. Like, what, what is this about? There are other places in the Bible that say the same kind of thing. And so I just want to point out another one to you. And this is in Matthew. This is chapter 7, 22 and 23. There's a ton of them in the Bible. But I want to point this one out to you because it just kind of holds hands with this idea, right? And he says, many, would, many will say to me on that day, he's talking about the second coming of the Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, oh, I never knew you. And then he inserts language in other places away from me. Depart from me, you evildoers. Like, come on. These are like church people. This is church people. And, and, and because God was talking and, and he says, I, I have this revelation, John, I want you to talk about it. It has some contextual implications right now in this moment, but there's also going to come a day. There's going to be groups of people, churches of people across my globe, and they're going to experience the same thing, and I need to say something to them. And so that's why it exists. That's why we read the book of Revelation. And he says, I, hey, listen, I know you're a good person. I know you're a good church person. I know you do that. I know that you, you, you know the right way to act. You've learned to filter your behaviors. You don't let some uh, four-letter words come out of your mouth anymore. You've cleaned up all that stuff, and you've made it about something else. And, and, and on the outside, it all looks good, and it's packaged together. You've even, you, you even dropped some money in the, in, the, in the offering plates every once in a while. And, and, and it, it says something crazy. It's like you, you've even done great deeds. You've even experienced great works. And even miracles have even been happening, right? But something about this is you're playing church and you're doing church, but you don't have relationship 
with me. And Jesus has very profound things about this, to say about this. And he's like, you've missed the idea. You know about me, but you don't know me, right? And so let's jump back over here. This is Revelation 17. 317. And so he, he just continues in the same process. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And here's what he says. You say, he's talking about the church people, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. Again, he's referencing what was happening in this point in time. Is this one of all of the churches was the wealthiest. It was the wealthiest in this area. And so they had a gold system where they would kind of, a, a minting press, if you will. And and so because of that, what was happening is they became self-sufficient. And it says that you have acquired wealth and you do not need a thing. They've become self-sufficient. And you know what happens when self-sufficiency comes in? When I don't need God or I feel like I don't need God, you know what happens? Is I become complacent. It's like, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need you. I don't need the relationship. I don't need the depth of the relationship that you want to take this to. I don't need that. And so I'm okay doing this to you, right? You love me. You want this, but mm, not, not right now. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my thing, right? And so self-sufficiency ends up leading us into a place where we're complacent, and complacency leads us to a place where we find ourselves kind of lukewarm. I still believe I still show up every once in a while. I still do the thing, but there's not depth to this. There's no passion inside of this. And Jesus is speaking to us inside of this. And he, he just keeps going here. And he has other contextual uh, things that he'll begin to point out. And I'll, I'll share those in a moment. Last night, last night it was, I don't know, nine o'clock maybe, I got a phone call. Um, from someone who had come through the church. He's not a regular part of the church, but he had come through the church, and, uh, and he was just in a, in a spot, in a place where he, he needed to hear from God, and he wanted to hear from God, and he, he had saved my phone number, and you know it's been almost a year now, and he had hit me up, and so we went down to the Starbucks, and I, and I watched this young man, and, and he's, he's done well, and he's been successful, and, and he's built business, and, 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 and I watched him, and I listened to him, and he began to say things that sounded a lot like this, like, you know, I'm making bank. I've got money, right? And I've acquired these things. And he was talking about the successes of this and how well business was doing. And then there came this breaking point, this moment where the countenance changed and the facade came off and the mask was put down. And then there came this breaking point and sobbing followed. And it was like, I have had all of these things. I have acquired these things. I'm only a young man. And yet I'm learning that I am so empty I'm so empty. And then I began to hear the rest of the story. I said, well, well, tell me about where you came from. What's your relationship with God look like? You had come to the church before. Why did you come to the church? And he says, you know what? I'm a PK. You guys know what PKs are? Pastor's kids, right? They're a breed of their own. I married one of them, right? And he says, I'm a PK. I, I know what you're going to say. I know what the book says. I know. I know. And the problem is, is I've pursued everything else. I've acquired wealth. I've made it about so many other things. And yet here I am finding myself, he said, I've responded. Like I went to church camp. Like I went to those conferences where all of those people and there was this salvation call and I raised my hand and I did that. And he said, I'm coming to this place and I'm now at this place and I know why I did it. I did it because I was religious. I did it because I wanted the people around me to see that I was making this, but in my heart, nothing had changed, and there was no relationship, and there was no passion, and there was no drive on the inside. And I watched this guy, and I just listened to his story, 
and just sat with him as he just began to sob and break before God. And, and what happens in our lives, what happens for all of us, is that we become self-sufficient when we think everything is good, everything is going well, and, and I'm not needy, and I'm not... Listen, God's thing is not because He wants you to always need Him. He wants relationship with you. Because He's your Father, when you are in need, guess what He does? Same thing I would do with my children. You need something? I'm going to come. I'm going to help you in any way I can. But it's not about the need right? It's about the relationship. There is nothing for me in this world that blesses my heart and, and just fills me with joy more than when one of my children, I know, listen, you know, you know when you're being worked, right? You know when somebody's worked. I know when one of my kids is up to something, daddy, I sure do love you, you know, and they're coming around and they're chumming up with me. I know what they're doing. They're working an angle. They want a new toy. They want some iPad time. They want to go do something, right? I, I, I get that, right? And, you know, and sometimes I'm still, you know, just generous daddy who comes along. But there's nothing that blesses my heart when there's no motivation, when they're not in need of anything. And my son says to me, he's seven, my son says, daddy, would you just come and lay down with me for a little bit? Come on, you want to talk about like my heart just melting in that moment. And God is the same way, right? So many times we wait until we're in need of something, and when we're not in need, then we're not in need of relationship, and God stays over here on the back burner. And it's a constant invitation to come and say, you know what, Daddy, can I just come and spend some time with you? And so he says to them, he's, be, uh, he's again, he's going and he's making these cultural references of where they are. In this area, it was known as a banking industry, and they manufactured wool. That was one of the things that they did. And they also had this medical school where they produced this salve. If you remember, like Jesus spit in some mud, he made some salve, and he put it on their eyes, right? Well, there was this, like, you know, this was a medical treatment process that they had in this area. And so Jesus is referencing this when he says to them, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, you do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And then in verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold. I counsel you to uh, wear these clothes, these white clothes to wear, and so you can cover your shamefulness and salve to put on your eyes. And again, he's speaking to this language that they understand. And this next verse, verse 19, go ahead and put it up here. In verse 19, we see the heart of the Father again, right? And so it's kind of harsh language when he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. But why? What is he doing? Those whom I love. And everywhere through the Bible, and we talked about this with Jonah several weeks ago in a series, how God's discipline is thorough and his grace is generous. Because he loves us, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He's saying, listen, if you're in a place of being lukewarm and complacency and self-sufficiency, I'm going to spit you out, not because I don't love you and I don't want relationship. Don't make the mistake of thinking that. It's because I hope the end result is you come to a place with, listen, you think you got it all together? See what life is like without me, right? And so that's what he does in this moment when he's talking about this. And this is the famous one, right? This is where if, you, if you've spent any time around the Bible in church or Sunday school, you know this verse. You've heard this verse. This is verse 20, right? Here I am. I stand at the door and I... Right? And this is the famous one. This is the thing. What a word picture that we have. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Right? And so put the picture up here. So Jesus, right? And this is like this imagery right here of Jesus. He's talking to the church. 
And he says, I stand on the outside of the church. By the way, it's my place. It's my body, right? I stand on the outside of it, and I, and I wait. And you know, what I, you know what I think? I'm like, if I were God, you know what I would do? I mean, come on, I'd be like the big bad wolf with the three little pigs. I huff and I puff and I'll blow your house down. But, but the Lord, his heart is revealed in this moment. Something about the character of God is revealed in this moment. Why, oh God, would you stand on the outside of what is yours? Why would you stand on the outside of your creation? Why would you do that? Why would he do it? Why are you knocking? And this is the this is the concept, right? There's a lot of religions in the world. There's a lot of them. This is the concept right here. This moment, in this time, we see something about God that separates it from every religion in the world, and it's this right here, is that God, being God, the Almighty, the All-Powerful, there is something that he cannot do. There is something that he will not do. He will not. He will not make you love him. God says, I will not make you love me. Something about the heart of God is revealed in this moment. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. Why? Because I've given you the ability to choose. And I will not I cannot. I will restrict my own power. I will not bend your will. I want intimate relationship. I desire to go to places that you've never seen, that you've never thought about, you can only dream of. I desire this for you, and yet I'm not going to force it. I'm going to give you a choice. He says, I want to know you. I want to know you, but it will be your choice. And so here's what happens. And it seems like the longer that we do church, the longer we do church, here's what we do. We trade intimacy with God for religious works. The longer we do this, the more inclined we are to do this. We trade intimacy with God for religious works. And here's how I wanted to just define religion and religious works. And I don't mean, because I'm going to use the word religion several times moving forward. And I just want to be clear on this, right? I'm talking about the idea. So religion is a response to God that allows us to treat God respectfully, respectfully, but not intimately. And so what do we do? We, we actually substitute relationship with God, and we insert a formula in a process. And this becomes the checkboxes of so many who claim the name of Jesus. This becomes the checkbox. This becomes the formula. As I go to church, check. Read my Bible occasionally, dust it off, right? Launch up my version app, you know. Check. Say my prayers before I go to bed. Check. Pray over my meal. Check. I messed up again. Let me say some Hail Marys. Let me do what I got to do. And and check. 
And then I find myself repeating this process, just rinsing and repeating. And here's the thing. The faith of religious people becomes about how well they perform the formula. And we measure ourselves. And we wonder why we end up, even as believers who attend church, coming to places where we're empty on the inside. And if you have felt that way, there's not judgment in this. If you have felt that way, the chances are that you have went through a formula and you have begun checking the boxes and you've negated something that is an invitation to you and something is missing in its relationship. And when you become religious, let me just tell you what happens, okay? When you become religious, your life becomes more and more self-centered, inward-focused. Everything that you do, your prayer life, the way that you conduct yourselves, your actions, in some way, we begin looking inward. And so our relationship becomes about our works, how well I'm doing, the deeds that I have, the performance that I have. It becomes about what God can do for me. God, keep my health, bless me with wealth, watch over my children, help them to get in a good college. And all of this is about me, me, me. And again, we become needy. And God desires more than just the need. He's sufficient for your need. Don't mishear me. He's sufficient for your need, and he moves in those moments, but he invites you to a place that's much deeper than religious relationship. Another thing that happens to us along the way is we become, as religious people, we come like the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees in the Bible? They were a judgmental group of people. That's what they were. They were judgmental, and in their hearts, they had already determined what God was like, and they had kind of made them into, God into his own image, their own image, right? And so they had determined what God was like, and anybody who wasn't acting that way or performing that way or up to the standards that they had set on people, what did they do? They pointed their fingers at them, and guess what? You're not welcome here. And they started judging people in those moments, and they became more judgmental. And so what happens is you create God in your own image, and you make him about what you think he's about. And the reality is that you might have some ideas here in your head, but you don't know God in here. And so this happens when religious happens. And this is like the, uh, like you remember the old ads for kids, like stranger danger, right? There's, this is the danger of becoming a stranger even as church people. This is what it says, and this is, this is weird. This is weird. Like, you ever read the Bible and you just think, like, what were these people thinking? What were they doing? This is one of those. Like, these are, this is religious people, church people. I want you to see what they did, right? This is John 16, 2 through 3, and he says this. He says, they will put you out. Say, put you out. They'll put you out of the synagogue. They'll kick you out of the church. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because why? So do you see what's happening here? Is they become so strange, estranged to the things of God that they think they know God, that they're going to church, they're part of the process, that they're judgmental in nature, and they're, they're kicking people out of the synagogue, and they actually take it so far that they're killing people and they're doing it in the name of the Lord. And they think they know God, and they think they're doing it on their behalf. Look at how far their religious works took them. It took them completely to a place where they became so disoriented. Let me ask you this. Who was responsible for killing Jesus? Say it out loud again. 
okay, the church, the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious people, and what were they doing? They believed they, they were doing it to protect God, to protect the image of God, to protect their religious institution. They believed that. And so this is describing a group of people who are like that. There are other world religions, by the way, that kind of do things like this right now. And so they have not known the Father. When you're religious but you don't know God, you begin to frame him in ways where you define who he is. And then when something doesn't happen the way you thought it was going to go, you begin to blame God. I thought you were going to respond this way, and you didn't respond that way, and so I'm upset with you. And God's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't even know me. How can you blame me for this? If you had known me, that you would have known I would have never stood for that decision. I would have never led you to sign on that dotted line. I would have never led you into that relationship. You're blaming me for the things that have happened, and yet they've happened because you don't know me. And so we've talked about discovering the will of God in here. That's what we were at last week. And this is the place of like knowing the Lord. This helps us to discover the will of God. And so our value here at this church, let me tell you at City Church, a value that we have, and it'll be here on the screen, is that we have a value of intimacy with God. And it's very simple. Intimacy with God. We have no desire to create a religious institution where people come and they follow some formula. We want to introduce you, to remind you, to invite you into an intimate relationship with God, your creator. That's the whole reason we exist. And then to reach out into the community and let them know that, hey, God's real and he wants relationship with you. It's about relationship over our religion, right? And so this begins with me, begins with my family, it begins with our leadership, it begins with the elders of our church, it begins with you who volunteer here. This is something inside of their heart. And so my hope today is that all of you would say, you know what, I am 100% passionately on fire for Jesus. My concern as a pastor is that if any of us identify with what the people were in Revelation 3, where it kind of has just become monotonous, it's become the routine, and I'm faithful to the routine, but I just want to remind you today that there is something so much more significant. You're invited into an intimate relationship, and this intimate relationship is just like a relationship that you would have with maybe your spouse, right? And so let me give you just a few things here, and let me pull it all together, okay? If we're going to have an intimate relationship with God, if I'm going to have an intimate relationship with my wife, quality time is a big deal, right? You know, five love languages, quality time is a big deal. And so time with the Lord is a way that fosters intimacy. And it's not the drive-by prayer, like I'm on my way to work, I'm rushing out the door, and it's like, hey, God, bless me today. Like, God has invited you into conversation and relationship with him. And so in a place of intimacy with him, maybe, maybe in the past it was. Like, maybe you used to spend 15 to 20 minutes of just sitting still before the Lord and praying. And now because life has just gotten busy. And I understand. And trust me, I understand. Maybe because life has gotten busy. Now it's like, hey, I know that that's valuable. I know I should do it. But I just can't make the time for this. And so intimacy is being neglected because time is not being invested to it. The second thing would be transparency. And sometimes we feel like we have to, we feel like we have to pretend with God. And I would say if you're going to have an authentic relationship, an intimate relationship, then it's about knowing and being known. 
And let me just remind you of something that you already know. He knows you. He knows the best parts of you. He knows the worst parts of you. And guess what? Isn't that amazing? He still loves me. He still pursues me. He still desires intimacy with me. And so if you're going to have real relationship, it requires that you're somewhat vulnerable and authentic. And so when you're angry, there's no sense in pretending like, oh, everything's okay. You know, like, go ahead and be real with the Lord. Let me just say this to you. If you're struggling with something in your heart, like lust has consumed me, like, go ahead and tell him. Be real with him. You're not, he's not going to catch him off guard. You're not going to catch him by surprise. He's God, your creator. In fact, he's the only one that can do anything about your problem anyway, right? And so God didn't send his son so that we could have all of these arm's length, at a distance, acquaintance type relationship. That wasn't why the ultimate price was paid. This price was paid so that we could spend time with him, so that we could have transparency with him, so that he could make his heart known to us and we could make our hearts known to him. And finally, the last one of this is, if you want to have intimacy with God, it's this word that sometimes it just gets misused and misunderstood. And, it's, and it comes from a place of submission and the Bible talks about this word in other places in a husband and wife, and sometimes it's been abused, but let me help you understand submission for a moment. Submission, mutual submission, is two people who are in a relationship, whether it's business or mother, father, or, or what it is, they're in a relationship, and they've decided, I, in all of my talents and all of my strengths, am going to put your best interest above my own, and so I'm going to submit myself to serving your needs and bettering you. And on the other half of the coin is the other partner in this, and it says, you know what? I, with my talents and my giftings and my strengths, I'm going to submit myself in such a way that I'm going to serve your needs, right? And so the invitation is submission inside of this, and submission must take place in order for us to have trust, right? And so trust is the foundation of our intimacy, of the relationship, and so submission must be here. And let me just kind of clue you in here for a moment. There are two people involved in your relationship with God, and Jesus himself took the first step. He submitted. He laid down his deity, his power. He became man. He went to the cross, and he submitted to the pain and the suffering, and he endured it. He submitted to this process. Why? Because he had your best interest in mind, because he wanted to serve you in such a way that he could make relationship, he could submit, and he could foster relationship. And now the other side of the coin becomes your invitation, where he invites you into a place of submission. And we don't like the word, but what it really means is, God, I trust you that you have my best interest, and now, God, I'm going to honor you with my life. And so if we want submission, it's time spent, or if we want intimacy, it's time spent, it's transparency, and it's submission. And so mutual submission. And let me just, let me go here as we close this together, okay? Here's, here's where he was. This is Revelation again, 3.20. And he says, here I am. And, and I believe, regardless of where you are in the conversation we've had today, that I believe that in these moments and in this moment that there is a knocking 
on the door of your heart. There's a knocking on the door of our own church, of City Church. I believe that there's a knocking that takes place. And this is what he says. If anyone hears my voice, they hear my knocking. I know my sheep. My sheep know my voice. If they hear me, he says, and they open this door, if you would open the door, he says, I will come in and with that person, and, and I will come in and I will eat with that person. The meal, sitting at the table, one of the most intimate things that we can do, eyeball to eyeball, sharing a meal, a relationship with one another. And so God stands at the door and he knocks and his desire, in fact, he's written his own version of the love letter for you. I love you. Do you love me? Yes or no? And this is where we're comfortable. It's down here with the maybe. And he would provoke your heart and he would ask you in your heart, have you come to a place where it's kind of been a drift, where it's drifted away from the passion that you once knew, the passion for God that you once had? Have you come to a place where you are kind of self-sufficient and you are kind of complacent? And if you are, the invitation, the daily invitation, is to just check the box. God, you're at the door, and I'll meet you at the door. Here I am, God, and I'll be there. And so let's pray together. If you would, if you would close your eyes. Have you experienced the difference between intimacy and religion? Do you want to know Jesus and be known by him? Are you okay with simply knowing about Jesus? When God comes and he knocks and he says, here I am, he loves you such a in such a way that he will not force himself, that he leaves an invitation for you. But it is your move. It is your choice. It is your decision. And so with every head bowed and every eyes closed, let me talk to a few different groups of people in the house today. Maybe you feel like where you are is actually quite far from God. I mean, you've heard the stories, you knew some of the scriptures, and you know a lot of things about God, maybe. Maybe you had relationship with him at one point in time, but now it's just kind of, it's, it's that distant relationship and there's nothing significant there. But while I've been talking today, you've been feeling this stirring. If it's been, maybe never had that relationship or it's been a long time since you've said, you know what, God, I'm gonna open the door. If you're here in the house today and that's you, would you do me a favor? I wanna pray for you. Nobody's looking, not gonna judge. I want to pray for you. If you would, if that's you in the house, and you'd say, you know what? I'm opening the door today. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Let me talk to another group of people. Let me talk to you church people for a minute, okay? Can I just be real with you? There's a longing and a desire in my heart for something deeper a more intimate relationship. And I know that it's a stirring from God himself for me. And so my hand goes up in this one. 
But if you've kind of been just checking off the boxes, that's no way to live your life. It just leads to guilt and shame. But relationship, real relationship can be yours. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm done just playing church or checking off the boxes. I've been guilty of some or all of those kind of things. And today I'm going back to the heart of what it is and what God has called me to in the invitation. And so if you're in here today and you would say, you know what, Pastor Daniel, include me in this prayer. Would you raise your hand now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And there's a third group of you. And maybe you are radically red hot on fire with the Lord. Would you come alongside us? Would you help us? Would you point us towards Jesus? Would you help to be the flame inside of a local body? Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who raised their hand and, and maybe they're far from you in this moment or, or, or haven't experienced real relationship with you ever or in a long time. Those who have raised their hands, God, you know their hearts. You know the desires of their heart. And God, your word says that when we would draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. And so you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock and we hear you knocking. And God, by faith, we open up the door and we say that you're welcome here that you're welcome into our hearts, that you're welcome inside of this church. God, you are welcome. God, I thank you that you love us so deeply, that you would pursue us so passionately, and yet you don't force us. You invite us. And those who have said today, it's been about the checks boxes. It's been about kind of just doing the deal and following just the rules and the regulations and somewhat has become religious in the process. God, bring us to a place of repentance and brokenness where, God, we would say to you, we long for you as you long for us. God, forgive us when we become self-sufficient when we look at our lives and we think we've got it together and we push you to the side and we just say, you know what? Not right now, God. And help us. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. God, and I just pray that we would be a church where you don't ever have to stand on the outside and knock, where the door remains open, where your Holy Spirit is welcome and we invite you we welcome you. You're the prodigal father who comes running to us when we come back home. And I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.